Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. All right, I want to invite you to take your Bible. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to be today as we continue this journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. As you're turning there, I want you to consider if you've ever had this moment. Maybe you got away for a guy's weekend, a girl's weekend. Maybe you're just hanging out at the house. You have some friends over. And it's getting kind of late into the evening. You're hanging out in the living room, maybe around a campfire. And, and before you know it, one person after another is sharing stories, sharing about moments that You've maybe enjoyed together as a group of friends. And then you have that one friend that is always just super outlandish, like just super over the top. And they share some story that just seems unfathomable. It doesn't, there's no way it could have happened. And in that context, someone sitting around the circle, they say two words, prove it. Have you been there before? Maybe it's not a story in the past. Maybe it's a dare of something they're going to do in the future. Well, if you guys would just watch this, watch what I'll do. And someone says, prove it. And in that moment, what it is, it is a call to action. It's called action to action to either bring evidence from an experience that had happened in the past or to say, you need to put your money where your mouth is. It's one thing to say you will do something. It's another thing altogether to actually do it. Last week, we began a journey through chapter 8, 9, and 10 of the book of 1 Corinthians, talking about biblical decision-making and how do we navigate those moments in life when a situation or a relationship, something comes into our life, and we can't necessarily turn to the Bible for an exact chapter and verse that tells us what to do. And if you were here last week, you know we talked briefly about some questions that can be helpful to make biblically-based, Christ-honoring decisions in maybe some um, unclear situations. Things like, is this needed? Is this helpful? Will this bring glory to God? Would Jesus do it? And if you remember last week, we centered in on a question that Paul um, brought out to the church in Corinth about how will this decision affect my brothers and sisters in Christ? We talked last week about the spiritual maturity, not being just knowledge, but the importance of love and being compelled by love and a willingness to surrender our rights for the sake of our weaker brother or sister in Christ. And at the end of that chapter eight in verse 13, Paul makes a very, very strong statement. He says, therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never eat meat again so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. Now, remember, they were having a conversation here about food that had been sacrificed to idols. And in that conversation, Paul, in a sense, goes a step further. And he says, listen, if eating any food is going to cause my brother or sister to stumble in their faith journey with Christ. I'll give it up. I'll lay down my rights. And today, I think what we're going to see 
is uh, the ability to follow Paul's mindset, to follow Paul's argument as he is considering what will the church at Corinth think when they hear me make such a strong statement. I, I just said, this is Paul speaking, that I will give up all food if it means that my brother or sister will stumble. And today as we dive into chapter 9, I think we're going to see Paul responding to the phrase from the church at Corinth that says, prove it. Paul, you say you'll give up all food? You say that you're so spiritual, that you're so mature in your faith that that you would be so concerned with your weaker brother or sister, someone that's not as far along in their faith journey, you're saying you would give up all food? Prove it. And so today in chapter 9, we're going to see Paul do exactly that. I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 18. I'm sorry, we'll go through verse 14. Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brother and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerning, concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake because he who plows ought to plow in hope. And he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much that we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive more benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this, right? Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who perform in the temple services eat the food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge at this moment, just as we began our service today with these first graders and putting your word into their hands, that we believe that this is your inspired and fallible revelation to your people of who you are, of our need for you, of your love for us, and what it looks like for us to follow after you. And Scott, we're asking today that we would have a posture uh, uh, of humility, a spirit that is teachable, a desire to have a better understanding of what it means to love you and to walk faithfully with you. So Spirit of God, would you speak to us in this moment? Would you change us in this moment? Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now that's a lot that we just read through, but here's the good news. We're going to walk through it today to give you a better understanding of what Paul is trying to say here. 
The main idea we're going to walk out of here today with this is that with the gospel as my greatest value, I can willingly lay down my rights. With the gospel as my greatest value, I can willingly lay down my rights. Just to remind you, when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about uh, the, the, the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And that all of us, because of the sin in our life, we are separated from a holy, perfect, blameless God. But, God, but the Bible tells us that God loves us. And he demonstrated that love by sending Christ to die for us, to take our punishment on himself. And that if we repent of our sin, if we confess it to God, that he will forgive us of that sin. He will restore us into a right relationship with him to know that we can walk in the fullness of joy with eternal purpose in our life. And we can live with the hope of experiencing the new heavens and the new earth in his presence for all our days. That is the gospel. And when I value the gospel... Above all things, I can willingly lay down my rights. First thing I want you to see in the text today is simply this. Don't let your rights hinder your gospel effort. Don't let your rights hinder your gospel effort. Now, I want to remind you that when Paul is writing to this letter in Corinth, he's not breaking up the letter in chapters and verses. Students, do you hear me on that? Right? Paul's just writing a letter. It's for our sake that later on that there were chapters and verses to help us be able to find where it is that we're talking about. But this is one strand of thought. This is one idea that Paul is writing here. And in response to verse 13 of chapter 8 of saying, I will refrain from all food if it's going to cause my brother or sister to stumble. We see here at the beginning of chapter 9 in verse 1 and 2 that Paul is going to establish a case for his freedom and for his apostleship. All right? So he begins there by saying, am I not free? And we talked about this last week, the understanding of the liberty that we have in Christ, the freedom that comes from the law, the freedom that the Spirit gives us, right? There is a freedom and a liberty that comes in following Christ. And so Paul's saying, am I not free? It's not just all of you that are free. I'm included in that. Am I not free? And then he says this, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord. This question is, 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 is really um, complementing that previous question about his apostleship. The understanding for Paul that I believe that we see in the New Testament is those that would serve as apostles were those that had seen the resurrected Christ and those that had a, an intentional commission from Jesus to take the gospel to the nations. And so for Paul, he's saying, listen, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus? If you're familiar with the book of Acts, you know, in Acts chapter 9 is where we see that moment, where he has this, this moment on the Damascus road where he sees the resurrected Christ. And so in all these questions that Paul is writing, he's writing them with the assumption of the affirmative being answered. Yes. Yes, Paul, you are free. Yes, Paul, we understand you are apostle. Yes, we know that you've seen the Lord. And then there in verse 2, if I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you. He says, because you were the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He's, he's reminding them, listen, if you have any questions about the calling on my life, we know Jesus said that Paul would take the gospel to the Gentiles. And here's a Gentile church. And Paul's saying, listen, no matter what others say, you, of all people, the church in Corinth, we go back to Acts chapter 18, where we see that Jesus, I'm sorry, not Jesus, Paul is the one who plants, who starts the church in Corinth. 
He's saying you are the seal, you are the evidence, you are the guarantee, if you will, of my apostleship. And so he's laying this foundation of saying, listen, yes, I am an apostle, a first-rate apostle with all the authority and influence that comes with that understanding. And then we see this shift that he's going to make here in verse 3. He begins verse 3 by saying, my defense to those who examine me is this. This is where I think we're following Paul's train of thought. Because he's thinking, when I make a statement like at the end of chapter 8, there's going to be people that are going to say, prove it. Yeah, right, Paul. And so he says here in verse 3, this is my defense. For those of you that want to investigate my claims, for those of you that want to investigate the authenticity or the sincerity of what I am saying, here's my defense. You want to question him on food and look at what he's going to say. Verse 4. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? He's talking there about his needs being met by the church. Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brother and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working. You hear over and over again, he's using that word right. And we see that he's pulling that from chapter eight. Remember when he said that you're thinking about the right that you have to eat this meat, but Paul would say, you need to give up that right if it's going to offend or be a stumbling block to your weaker brother and sister. So he's doubling down on this word right. It's more than likely that the church in Corinth were boasting about their rights, all these rights that they had. And so he's asking these, these questions. Do, do we as apostles not have the right to have our provisions met? Do we not have the right to have a believing wife accompany us? But then in verse 6, this is where we see he's going to get to the root of the issue as he's going to prove that verse 13 is sincere in his life. It says again in verse 6, Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? The issue that Paul is going to dig into here to prove to those that might investigate the sincerity of a statement like, I'll give up all food if it means it's going to be a stumbling block to my brothers and sisters. He's going to say, I'm going to prove point A over here by showing you that in point B, which is a much bigger thing than point A, that I have done just as I said that I would do in point A. So they're talking about little issue over here, food sacrifice to idols. And what Paul is going to reference now is the right that he has as an apostle to receive compensation or provision from the church. Let me say that again. Paul understands that he has a right as an apostle to receive his compensation and provision from the church. That is a right that Paul has. And we're going to speak to it in just a moment of why he has that right. And so he says here, he gives us a hint in verse 6. He introduces us into this argument in verse 6. Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? And now I want you to follow here. We're going to do this quickly. I want you to follow in Paul's mind the argument that he is going to make for us today on why he has the right to receive compensation from the church to do the work that God has called him to. Look at me in verse 7. He's going to start with the argument of everyday life. 
the, the workday world, if you will. Verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from his flock? So he's saying, let's just look at common day life. The soldier, a soldier doesn't pay his way to fight for his country. He's compensated for what he's doing in the way that he's serving, right? The vineyard, the one that cares for the crops, doesn't he have the right to take from the crops? He's done the work. Or even the shepherd, the one that cares for the flock, doesn't he have the right? So he, he moves from this just natural what we see in everyday life, but then he's going to go from this rational idea to an issue of authority in verse 8. He said, or asked, am I saying this from a human perspective, but doesn't the law also say the same thing? So now he's moving from a place of authority of saying this idea of a right of being compensated for what it is that I do serving as apostle. He says, doesn't the law say that? And we see that he quotes here a passage from Deuteronomy. Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. And so he goes into this idea of the law gives him the right it gives him the right to receive this compensation. But then we're going to see that he's going to continue to move through this argument. Not just from the workday world or from the authority of the Old Testament law, but look with me in verse 13. Don't you know that those who perform the temple service eat the food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the same things of the altar? Now he's going to say that I have a right to receive compensation because this is the common practice. Some believe that maybe he's referencing to the Old Testament and the temple, to Solomon's temple and how the priests would receive compensation. They would receive food, right? He could be referencing to all these temples that he's mentioned here where these idols are being worshipped and how even the priests of these, these idols, how they receive their compensation. So now he's talking about common practice. But finally, here's where he's going to put the, the nail in it, if you will, in verse 14. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. So he's laying on a very thick argument here for the right that he has as an apostle. It happens in the workplace. The Old Testament law has given its authority to, yes, the, the role of compensation. He's saying it's common practice in what happens with leaders in the temple. But now he goes to Luke chapter 10 where Jesus is going to send out the 72 and he says the worker is worth his wages. And so he is taking from what Jesus commanded to those that would go and would serve the people with the gospel. He is saying, listen, the Lord has commanded that I have this right. But look with me in verse 12. If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Paul planted the church. He started it. He's led them to Christ. He's been there with them in this journey. He's still investing. Don't I have that right? Even us more. Look at me in verse 12. Nevertheless, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul here, to those that are questioning him, they want to examine him about his willingness to abstain from food for the sake of his weaker brother or sister. He says, you're concerned about food and what I'm saying is my livelihood. 
I have a right to my livelihood to be coming from you. And he says, I'm laying that right down. You want to question me about food, and I'm telling you, I've laid down the right to my livelihood. Why? Why does Paul feel that? Because he says there at the end, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. What could Paul think there? Why could Paul think that receiving his livelihood from the church would hinder the gospel? Well, he doesn't say. We don't know definitively, but we can assume possibly that he's thinking that if that's the case, then the church becomes the patron and that as the apostle, he becomes the client. And now the nature of the relationship has changed. It's in those moments and having a conversation with a church member and a point of tension that we're trying to process through and And yes, I've heard it, and other people on our staff have heard it too. Don't you forget, I pay your salary. Well, guess what? I tithe, so I pay my own salary too. (laughs) But the nature of the relationship changes, right? And so for Paul, he feels this conviction that even though he has the right, from the mouth of Jesus himself, he has the right. And he says, I don't even want to allow that to hinder my work in the Lord. And so the principle for us today is to consider, I think it's the challenge to not allow our rights to hinder our gospel effort. You know, as Americans, we live in a very individualized society. We live in a culture that values our freedom, don't we? And we're grateful for our freedoms, right? We, we live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. Sorry, Owen. But I believe it, and I'm grateful for it. Owen does too. That's why he married an American, right? (laughs) I'm sorry. But what did the relationship of freedom have to do in our country when we started talking about wearing a mask? Ooh. Now, I'm not going down that rabbit trail because I'm not a dumb man, all right? But listen, the conversation came about freedoms. You can't take that freedom from me. And here's the reality, is that we live in a country that values our freedoms, and we should be thankful for our freedoms. So please don't hear me being critical about that. But I think what can happen is that, especially in the Western church, is that when we come to faith in Christ, we can assume that the freedoms that we enjoy as a citizen, we pull all that individualized freedoms into our faith walk with Christ, and we just say, I have freedom. I can do whatever I want. I love as one commentator said, it comes down to the issue, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. I can do whatever I want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. And you can hear a posture of a heart that is very different than than Paul over here saying, listen, I have laid down my livelihood. I, I have chosen to go to work for myself as a tent maker. I've worked hard with my hands and I've brought extra stress into my life because I'm willing to give up that right. I am willing to give up that freedom. Because I'm afraid if I do that, it will hinder my gospel effort. I want to challenge you today. Is the posture of your heart one in which you would say, I am willing to lay down my rights. I am willing to lay down my freedoms for the sake of the gospel. I want you to hear Paul's heart in this. In verse 15, 
verse 15, he's going to say, well, our takeaway really in this next little section here is, is simply this, the gospel, the gospel, the reason we can lay down our rights for the sake of our gospel efforts is because the gospel is our greatest value and reward. The gospel is our greatest value and reward. Look at me in verse 15 through 18. He says, for my part, I've used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. Verse 18, what then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and to make full use of my rights in the gospel. So again, in verse 15, he doubles down here again and says, for my part, I have used none of these rights. I haven't done it. And then he clarifies there the second part of verse 15, nor have I written these things so they may be applied in my case. He's saying, I'm not talking about this issue so that you guys will go, huh, we're not paying for Paul. We should, we should do that. That's what Paul's doing. He's, he's hinting at us that we should start doing it. He says, no, that's not while I'm talking about this issue. And then in verse 15, I want you to catch this. And the CSB translation doesn't, doesn't do it well, but, but he says this. He says, for I, I'm sorry, for it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. Now, in the original language, when Paul begins to write this, here's what he does. He says, for it would be better for me to die, and he stops. He just cuts the sentence off mid-thought. And this is some conjecture on my part. So this is not saith the Lord. But I just wonder for Paul, as he's thinking about giving up this right and his love for the gospel and the calling of God on his life, the man who would say that I was the chief of sinners, the one who was going around and killing people who were following Christ that now had been radically saved and changed. As he's thinking about valuing the gospel above all things, he says, for me, I, I would rather die. And I just wonder if tears begin to come down his face onto the paper that he was writing on, the papyri that he was writing on, those, those tears would just, just being overwhelmed with the reality of what Christ had done for him. I wonder if he had to step back from the table or if he had to ask his scribe to just give him a moment as he had to compose and consider the reality of what Christ had done for him the true value and reward of the gospel. He goes on here in verse 16 to say that if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach. And his valuing of who Christ is in his life, knowing what he has been saved from and what he has been saved to, understanding the call on his life to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He says, listen, if I was doing this willingly, then maybe I could boast. But he's saying, I am compelled. I am, there is this divine compulsion in my life that almost like Jeremiah, it is a fire shut up in my bones. 
And so what I'm doing in giving up my rights and proclaiming the gospel to as many people as possible, he's saying, I am doing that. Don't boast in me. It is a result of me being compelled of the value and the reward of the gospel and in my love for people. Here's what I believe. Is that what we value, hear this, write this down if you're taking notes. What we value is often demonstrated in what we're willing to give up and what we will endure. What we value is often demonstrated in what we will give up and what we are willing to endure. Let me give you an example of that. This summer, uh, our family had the opportunity. We went over to, to Arlington to go to a Texas Rangers baseball game. Cannon that got baptized today, that's what he wanted for his birthday. He wanted to go to a Rangers game. Now, this side of it, I should have just gave him $100 and said, happy birthday. I'd have come out a lot cheaper, but, but that's what he wanted. And so we loaded up and we go to the game. And my boys had been to some games before. Our family had been to some games before, but it had been a while. And, and so as we're going, they, they're hyping themselves up about getting a baseball getting a foul ball, getting a home run ball. And I'm trying to be the voice of reason, right? Like, guys, it can happen, but it really doesn't happen. And they're talking about how great it's going to be to get a ball. I'm like, guys, just listen, it, it, just brace yourself. Like, let's just enjoy the game. If it happens, it happens, but it's not going to happen, right? Well, we went early and did a tour of the stadium that allowed us to watch the Rangers take batting practice, which you usually don't get to do that because they don't open the gates till two hours before the game, and the Rangers are usually done. But we were sitting in this section behind the Rangers dugout. They've got this massive net that you know now goes foul pole to foul pole. And we're just sitting there with hundreds of people. And all of a sudden, I'm looking this way, and everyone stands up. And so I kind of say, I turn, and there is a ball that is coming over that net. And Cannon, who is two seats down from me, who's shorter than everyone else around us, goes boom, and catches it. (laughs) Now, he goes nuts, right? My seven-year-old, he doesn't go nuts. (laughs) It was a bad moment for him, right? It was a bad moment. He wanted a ball, he decided for a ball, and now his brother has a ball, and he doesn't have a ball. I said, buddy, I'm sorry. Like, daddy can't jump on the field and get you a ball. Like, it just is what it is. And so eventually, we make our way to the outfield, and uh, they, we got released to be able to go to the outfield. And so now they're, the uh, Nationals are hitting balls into the, into the outfield and, uh, and they're shagging balls. And uh, we'd been out there a while. We had some close opportunities. We hadn't gotten another ball. And then one of the, honestly, as honest as I can be, one of the proudest moments that I will ever have as a father is one of the National players took a ball and he threw it up into the stands. And my 13-year-old, Gavin, caught the ball. And right away, he turned to his 7-year-old brother and gave him the ball. I was incredibly proud of him. Yeah. So, so we experienced the game. It's a great game. We had a lot of fun. We go back to the hotel. We're getting out of the hotel. And as we get out of our van at about 11 o'clock at night, I hear Abby scream bloody murder. I'm thinking, man, is someone like, is some, did someone approach her from the other side of the van? And so I come around the van and sure enough, Asher getting out of the van, something happened. He tripped. He fell onto the parking lot. He was okay. But when he did, he had his glove in his hand. And what was in that glove? a ball. And he hits the ground. And when he does, we were parked on a slope and that ball slowly trickled into a storm drain. (laughs) So now you know what Asher's doing again, right? And Gavin, he's over there saying, dad, I shouldn't have given him the ball. I shouldn't have given him the ball. I'm like, you're right. Like, you're right, son. 
And I'm telling you, listen, in one of the greatest moments of my life is I got to observe Abby Wood turn and look at me and she said, I'm going to get it. And I, again, this is a completely true story. You can ask Abby, this is exactly how it unfolded. And I'm like, babe, you are not getting in a storm drain for a baseball. I said, in fact, I'll just wait till tomorrow and I'll go to Academy and I'll get a fishing net and I'll reach down in there and I'll scoop that ball up. We could see it. It was about five feet down. We could see it. She's like, what if it rains? It's not going to rain tonight. It's not supposed to rain. We're good. What ended up? We went back up to the room and, and really my greatest fatherly moment and in honor of MacGyver with two used iPhone cords and a cup, I scooped that thing out of the storm drain <laughs> and got the ball back. That's right. <clears throat> it really was a great moment for me. But listen, listen, I'm telling you, it was an emotional roller coaster like none other. It really was. High highs and low lows. But listen, before that moment happened, if you said to Abby, I'll pay you 500 bucks to get down in that storm drain. She ain't doing it. But her baby loses a foul ball into that thing, she going, right? Here's the point. What you value is often demonstrated by what you're willing to give up or what you're willing to endure. For Paul, the gospel the reality of what Christ had saved him from was so great that he said, these rights, I'll give them up. I'm willing to lay down what even Jesus has said I have a right to because his value of the gospel was so much greater than what he would benefit from that right. And the reward of preaching the gospel with no obstacles to people that he loved and was giving his life to was of greater value than any right that he would give up. It's why he says there again in verse 18, what then is my reward? It's to preach the gospel and to offer it free of charge and to not make full use of my rights of the gospel. So today from chapter nine, we see that when I value the gospel as my greatest value, I'm willing to lay down my rights. Why do we do that? Because it's what Christ did for us. Second Corinthians, Paul says it this way. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. Paul understands that this idea of laying down our rights is straight from the heart of Christ. He says that in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus emptied himself. He lowered himself from the glory of heaven to come and to walk among us because of the problem of our sin. The desire to come not just for the healthy, but to come for the sick, to seek and to save those that were lost, to give his life as a ransom for many. That Christ emptied himself, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that in your poverty, the poverty of your sin, Christ would come so that you would be rich. To no longer walk in shame and guilt, to no longer try to navigate through life feeling like you have no purpose or meaning, that Christ would do that so that you could become rich. Let me ask you today, is the gospel your greatest value? 
And let me tell you, if it is, one way you know is that you're willing to lay down your rights. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.